Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Design. On this podcast, we'll talk to the people who design things to find out the stories behind their work and how they approach the creative process. My name is Mike Bifulco. I'm a software designer living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I started this project because it's inspiring to hear about other people's passions as well as their struggles. And my name is Andrew Miller. I'm a UX designer living in Boston. We believe that product designers everywhere can benefit by hearing about what we all go through. It's our hope that by sharing anecdotes, we can make design better for everyone. On today's episode, we're talking to Aaron Lotsky and David Delcourt, the inventor and designer of the Siva Cycle Atom, a brilliant bicycle-powered electrical generator that allows you to store energy in a battery mounted to the frame of a bicycle and charge any device that is USB-powered. The Atom was successfully funded on Kickstarter in May of 2013, raising over $125,000 in funding from backers. So my name is Aaron Lasky, and um, I, uh, you know, as you know, you know, we're doing this Kickstarter thing, and, and my background is mechanical engineering. Um, past employers have been everything from uh, you know, construction. I built a built a house uh, for one of my friends' moms right out of college. Uh, then CNC machining, all the way to structural engineering, and and into robotics, mechanical engineering for the semiconductor industry, which was what led me into the current um, you know, pursuit of what we're doing now, Dave and I doing the startup. Um, you know, uh, I'd say if there's a passion of what I want to design, it, it would be something along the lines of, um, of uh, kind of making things as simple as possible for some type of complicated uh, issue. I mean, so, you know, I love the idea of, of simplifying complicated or seemingly complicated complicated. Um, uh, transactions or or um, interactions into something elegant and simple, and um, you know and that's kind of what started us into you know, the current venture, which is our bicycle generator for USB and you know, electronics on the bicycle. That's great, David. How about yourself? Sure. So David Delcourt. My background. Uh, the long story is environmental economics. When I met Aaron, uh, and had this concept about getting energy where we need most, and I've been doing a lot of research about the developing world, about solar down there especially, and so was looking at the bicycle as a means of kind of harnessing, you know, the invisible energy that's out there every day, you know, the kinetic energy of the rider, the potatoes and grains and meat and cheese and everything we ingest you know, being turned into usable, let's see how that was possible. So through that process, Aaron and I were put together by a mutual friend, and Shiva Cycle was started, and um, we've, we've been rolling since. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear that this is kind of a, a serendipitous meeting of two people that are sharing sort of common interests. Um, do either of you have a lot of background in cycling, or is this just something that seemed like the right place at the right time? I uh, actually went through a period of time where uh, I you know, actually got rid of my car and wanted to commute to work via bicycle. And I used to work about it was about 45 minutes driving from where I where I live, and so you know through a combination of cycling and, and public transportation. But yeah, for a good good year or so, I was you know just solo bicycle. But aside from that, it's you know, it's more of just something I enjoy doing for the passion of it. I, I don't I've done some different touring, cycling, and and you know, spent some week long trips on the road and stuff like that, and that's a lot of fun. You know, obviously all around town, and as well as different um, you know mountain biking. And I mean, it's just been a lifelong passion. Just different times you get into it, get out of it. 
and uh, it's always there. Sure. I guess for, for the, the folks who are listening that may not be as familiar with your product or haven't uh, had any exposure to it yet, uh, why don't you give us a bit of an idea of what the Atom is like in its current iteration, uh, kind of some of the features of it and who it's targeted at? <laughs> uh, Dave? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot, and then Aaron, I'm sure uh, you'll have things to add. But So the Atom is really, at its foundation, about being the nerve center of the smart bicycle. We think about ourselves basically creating everyday magic, taking that power of the rider and making it into something you can use on a daily basis, and a little bit about the nitty-gritty of that and how that happens. You know, we created a easy-to-mount, you know, in less than a couple minutes little generator that rotates by contacting your spokes virtually frictionless. You know, there's no, no free lunch. Uh, if we had created perpetual motion, people would be lining up for it. Um, but then really really just goes through, uh, you know, what we find is an, an exterior that's very simple and pleasant to look at, not, not obtrusive on the bicycle, is kind of counterbalanced by an interior that is actually a custom generator, uh, enhanced electronics, a battery pack, all of these really advanced, really processes and, and mechanics that make it possible to do this. So uh, that's the the Atom ATOM uh, generator. All about power on the bicycle, charging cell phones, lights, GPS, anything on the USB platform, as well as the removable battery pack. So if you do, you know, say you are a commuter or uh, you know you even you're taking a weekend ride, you stop in a coffee shop, you've got power off the bike, uh, you know, at work, wherever you may be. Yeah, I think that was one of the, sorry, that was one of the most exciting things for me to see was, was you know, as someone, I like to go camping on my bike, so I'll take it for two or three days, and usually I have to worry about bringing some kind of external battery that's kind of heavy, and I keep it in my jersey pocket or in a, a backpack or a, a pannier. Um, it's really nice to have something that, that clips onto my bike that I don't really have to notice that I can pull off and, and use to charge my phone or even my GPS on the bike uh, whenever it's convenient to me. Yeah, and that was one of the, that was honestly one of our motivations. You know, we felt like, and got a lot of feedback from, from touring cyclists and urban cyclists and performance cyclists alike that, you know, why is nobody doing this? Um, the fact is power on the bicycle is not a new concept but packaging it in a way that is usable and ready for the 21st century cyclist, you know, one that's interacting with technology, you know, be it, you know, phones for GPS, for Strava, for, you know, weather information on down-to-base communication. There was nothing there. You know, we didn't want to just be another accessory. We we really set out to be a, a paradigm shift to make cycling about a whole lot more than just getting from A to B. It's very exciting too to see that the, the product itself is very sort of graceful and elegant in the way that it mounts to the bike. I have a number of friends that have generators mounted on their, their bicycles for touring and they, you know, either they run off of the tire with sort of a, a freewheel that spins on the tire or, or some other mounting system that is one, very obtrusive and kind of annoying to get mounted in the first place. But if you get into a situation where you have a flat tire, or you need to change a wheel or something like that, they can be really a, a pain in the butt to get around. Yeah, and this is Aaron speaking, and that was one of our key you know, design criteria as we set out is you know, how do you maximize efficiency while also 
minimizing the, the issues that existing power sources have run into over the years. And, you know, so definitely you know, the sidewall-driven generators, which is what you just referred to. I mean, yeah, great. They're economical. They're easy to, uh, relatively easy to install, but, you know, they, they run into this issue if you change your tires, inclement weather, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other option would be you know, the hub generator, which is at the center of your wheel. Well, I mean, those are terrific, but you know, great with efficiency, but you know, you have to build the entire wheel around it, and by the time you get through that, that type of cost, can be, uh, it can be intimidating and a higher you know, point of entry for anyone that wants that type of power on their bicycle. But the idea that we had is, you know, how do we you know, get the efficiency of that hub generator with the, ease, the relative ease of in installation of the sidewall generator and so kind of what you see is, is this thing that you know, easily clamps onto the hub by the same mechanism that's going to hold your tire to, to, onto your bike, you know. So if you can, you, know, you say if you can change your tire, you can install the Atom generator. And then the way that we have, you know, contacts the spokes around the center, it's this way that's not going to be affected by the weather. Um, you know, it's always going to be referenced correctly. So you're always going to get this really good performance. And then all the electronics that you need, are all just you know magically hidden in that in that in a uh, unobtrusive packaging, so that you know the user just you know, it's just nice simple installation. They get the you know the endless power relatively right. I mean obviously you're not going to be able to power your house off of it, but as long as you want to pedal, you're always going to have power for for what you need, and it's not you know it solves a lot of those issues that that the other existing uh, power solutions had. Very cool. So can you tell us a little bit about your design process. So what did the what did your first sketches look like? How different is the final product? Uh, tell us a little bit about any compromises you had to make or discoveries you made once you went into prototyping and so forth. Sure. So this is Aaron again. Um, yeah, the, the original approach was actually to mimic the hub generators more closely as in we wanted to do a direct drive. So stay away from any type of mechanical stuff such as gears and you know, and then because gears are one of those those things that if done correctly, you know, they're great. But if done wrong, they can just be a nightmare. You know, and, and obviously it's a kind of simple is better. That was definitely a you know a thought process. And so originally we wanted to do this just centrally located, you know, uh, directly driven generator. The problem why we went away from that is is the nature of the beast is it's too heavy too heavy and then size became an issue just to get the necessary power in, in the envelope that we had. And so that was one of the first concessions we had to make was, all right, let's move the generator off of the hub, so off of that central axis, and then use gears in order to transfer the motion up to this generator. And then, then you know, as luck would have it, it actually made it a, you know, a much better product. Generators have this, this function where if you can spin them faster, then they actually can get smaller and more efficient. So, um, you know, that works well on a bicycle where weight's an issue. And then also, you know, you don't want this thing dragging a whole bunch for how much you're going to get back. So at the end of the day, by moving it off, the whole package got a lot smaller. Uh, the whole package got a lot lighter. And then, you know, we actually had a better performance. So, you know, it's kind of like everything's got a silver lining, and that was one of the first examples of that. Uh, other than that, the, the, the design changes or challenges have been Maybe more uh, hard to say, but they're, they're more like um, you know you're going to have to face them, and you know they're going to be something you have to figure out, and it's just something you have to slog through. And so an example of that is the actual generator itself. I mean, figuring out you know what topology we're going to use. So topology is the actual geometry of the generator. 
So how is it going to actually be configured, and how are we going to produce that power, and how are we going to fit that size and shape of the generator into the size and shape of our outer form? Um, and th you know, those are just design issues that you need to have to face, and and you see the best, you see what's the best you can do, because you know, like in our situation, the best would be that if it that it's the smallest and thinnest as we and lightest as we can possibly get it. You know, that that's one of the design criteria, and and so you kind of just keep going. To see how small I can get it without obviously you know doing an endless pursuit that you're never going to actually finish. But it, again, you know, a lot of those things turned out. Uh, I'm very happy with how they turned out, where where our, our endpoint settled. And um, yeah, I'd say that's about it. I'm curious to know a little bit about your process itself. So, like, do you use sketch pads? Do you use pencils? Do oh, you I do see. this as you know? Is, sure. tell, take us through the the journey. I got you. Yeah, I am a big sketcher. I love to sketch things out. I have, you know, like three or four big design books that I mean, just blank, no, no lines, just to draw it out. Now, I'm not an industrial designer, and, and wouldn't say I have the sketching ability of a true artist, but you know, definitely enough to get by. And, and that's definitely the, the process because my design process exists, and you. Um, you kind of get a hunch, right? So it's you start with a foggy idea. You start with this. If you're gonna say it's a shape, it's it's a circle, but the edges are blurred, and um, and you might not even really look like a circle, you know. And and as you work through the design, so that's your initial hunch of like, I think I want it to look like this. I have this idea, like yeah, my, if I had my my uh, spade of spades, um, you know, if you had your own way and there's no rules that that went around it, this is what I would want it to look like, just because I like how that would look. And that's purely just my own opinion, right? And so you start with that. You know, what's my goal? What's my home run shot? And you know, I'll start sketching that stuff down. And then you just slowly work your way into like adding the real world constraints. You know, oh, well, this needs to be this size. So like, for instance, the generator needs to be a certain thickness, or this electronics need to be a certain you know volume to fit everything, or the battery if we want this capacity of battery, and um, or different frame sizes for the bicycle. You know, these are all specific examples. And then they start to bring this foggy amoeba of this concept into sharp-edged reality, which becomes your final result. And so I always draw stuff in my sketchbook before I put it into the computer and draw it in, in SolidWorks as a solid model. There's times that I do work through SolidWorks to get to the final shape. Those times typically take longer. And it's, it's purely based on the fact that through sketching, it, it creates the image correct in my head, and then once I have the image correct in my head, then I can place it into SolidWorks. Typically, um, that's just the, the most efficient way for me to do it. But yeah, I, I'd say the universal process is definitely, you start with this dream shot. I'd love it if it did this. And then finding a way, this is uh, something that my dad said for years, and, and it probably goes through my head at least five times a day. It's, you're making chicken salad out of chicken shit, and it's you know it's how do you how do you take this mess, you know, and make that form out of it of something that that's great, and um, there's always a way, you just got to find it. Um, and then another little nugget, you know, right before I end here is, and this will keep me going as far as you know trying to find the you know find the right solution of how to how to to meet make reality meet your this this goal in your head is is. Whenever you find your solution, when you come up to your find your solution, 
that solution always existed. Like you didn't actually create it, you found it. Because you know, we're not rewriting you know, that configuration of, you know, say, you know, for this generator, you know, configuration how it should fit on the bike, or the configuration of the generator that produced the best performance. Like that configuration was always there, just waiting to be realized. And I love that that concept. You know, so like all I, you know, it's not I'm not trying to create the impossible. I'm just trying to find. I got to find it. I got to go look for. It. I got to keep going through different solutions, different configurations, or whatever, and then I find it. Um, and once you found it, it's found. And um, and as Dave has heard me say a million times, you know, it's, something's impossible until it's easy. So, because um, once you find it, then you know. But yeah. Does that yeah. did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I, uh, I I would compare that almost to the I, I'm not sure the exact quote, but around sculptors kind of knowing that the sculpture is in the rock before they start carving, and they're just revealing what was always there. Yeah, that's a great that's that's a great analogy. I mean, it's exactly the same concept, yeah. totally. So you know, you sketch on paper, you get your design into a CAD model in in SolidWorks. What would, what did you do for physical prototyping? Did you use three D printing, or was this you know actually uh, mocked up um, breadboards, or, or you know how did you get through the actual putting uh, the, the the pedal to the metal? Early on through the design process, we have a membership with a local co op called Tech Shop, and so. Tech Shop has, you know, uh, through the membership, you get access to a CNC mill, uh, manual lathe, manual mill, and actually they have, you know, full wood shop, full metal shop, you know. And so that was what helped a lot. So I have, you know, the CNC software from my history, my my previous employers. Uh, I, I know how to do that stuff, and, and so that, you know, from the generator standpoint, say, so there's there's basically two. Two elements, three elements, you could say, that go into this this product. There's there's the mechanical things that you can machine, which would be uh, items that really pertain to the generator. So the generator contains our metal, contains you know the magnets, contains the wire, and so yeah, I, I prototyped quite a few generators, you know, through machining uh, what are called these pucks that I would receive from a supplier, and, and I could machine it out and. I wound my own coils on bobbins that I would print out on 3D printing and uh, do tests on test fixtures that I would you know, create through the tech shop doing you know, machining on the weather manual or CNC mills and lathes. So definitely a hands-on prototyping approach. All the plastics, so there's the, I didn't, so the, there's got the generator, and we have the plastics, which are the housing, the support equipment, the gears. All that stuff we prototype with the 3D printing. And uh, a couple different types of 3D printers, the FDM, which is basically layers of spaghetti plastic that you layer up. And that, that's really good for more structural stuff and, and larger resolution type modeling. And then uh, we'll use an, uh, I use object uh, printer and, and also some SLS stuff uh, if I need you know, special materials for, uh, to model up live hinges, for example, or, or snap fits. To definitely use all the latest technology, you know, at our fingertips, and that helps a ton, because you can only go so far when you look at the solid model. You look and you zoom in, and you're at, you know, a tenth of a thousandth of an inch. You're like, yeah, it's it's perfect, and then you realize, you know, that's you know, uh, those tolerances don't exist in real life, and so you're moving it into the tangible space where you actually can hold it, you can look at it, you can feel it, you can twist it. Um, gives you a good approximation for whether or not your design, you know, held up well. Simulation tools are great, but I feel that, for the most part, the fastest and most efficient way in designing, you know, for non-critical parts, is to you know, some, get something close, 
print it out, feel it, and see what you think. You know, obviously there's a case where you, you, you need to trust the math and you need to trust the physics. But I'd say 90% you know, of the design of, of this particular product, save for the generator, is not, not in that ballpark, not in that range of, of, of uh, engineering. There's a lot of fine components in there, especially when it comes to the, the technologies behind the generator that I can't imagine physical, you know, 3D, 3D rapid prototyping would be very helpful for. Yeah, you need to just, and actually that, the, the, the generator is an interesting thing where you really do have to rely on the program, the computer program, the physics that backs that up. Uh, it's, you know, I, I prototype it in person and that gives us a good, a good approximation. But as far as actual performance, you really just have to trust the program. Uh, that does the uh, you know finite element analysis and actually you know can map out how the you know, magnetics are going through and all this sort of stuff and creating the power and, and that's going to be your best bet because the only way to truly test the generator is actually to produce it through the high volume manufacturing means. The prototyping only gives you uh, probably a seventy percent approximation. Sure. Um, so uh, can, you, can you tell us maybe about any uh, times where you had to make a decision in your design or maybe you made a mistake that you kind of had to retrace your steps on? The battery, the removable battery and kind of the, the to me, or just, just one that's really easy to understand. Um, and Aaron can kind of, you know, uh, speak to the specifics here. But the first prototypes we had had no battery, period. Um, it was something we almost didn't go with from a key criteria for, for usage, we ended up coming to the conclusion we had to have a battery. So the, the iteration you, you may have seen on Kickstarter was a top-loading battery that slides on and off. Well, there were a couple issues around water and grime getting in there and shaking on the bike and necessitating some kind of clamp. And so I'll let Aaron kind of describe like his process to come around to this side sliding, uh, essentially a battery that now slides in from the side that uh, has both improved the width of the battery, um, has increased the capacity of the battery, and got rid of some of those kind of challenges that we had. That's a good example, Dave, because there's one other story is that, you know, so this, you know, the first take on it, you know, for the Kickstarter uh, model that we had, there was a, a top sliding, it had a little dovetail slide, which I knew I was going to have to redesign and find a more elegant solution. But one thing I didn't realize as I was designing it on the computer uh, in absence of you know, the real-world experience is when you actually put it on the bike and you try and slide it off, the, the frame of the bike's right in the way to get where your finger wants to go. The natural way you want to do is just kind of pinch the battery and slide it right up. But you can't do that because you know, the frame of the bicycle is in the way. And I, you know, I have the frame on the bicycle on the model. You just don't, you just don't think about it. And you can't think of anything. And so it's kind of one of those ones, like, as soon as I put on the bike and tried to do it, you're like, ah, oh, that sucks. You know, that's not going to work. You know, and then, and then again, like, riding around, as, even as we filmed the video, you know, the battery would be bouncing around. You're like, hey, this needs to be, you know, restrained in some way. You know, and then so the solution that Dave alluded to was you know, having it contained within the housing itself. And basically, it, it's held in on three sides, having it slide in from the rear, with the assumption that most of the bouncing on the bike is going to be vertical, you know, you're, you're very, you know, or slamming on your brakes, so stopping radically, and you know, and it has a click that you know, holds it and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the point which was, you know, we had to backtrack was this idea of like you know, the frames in the way. You know, I didn't, I didn't see that, and um, you know, finding a new solution and 
you know, something that's not going to fill up with dirt, something that, that's not going to, you know, if, if grime gets in the way, you can easily wipe it out with your finger um, so that you can resume, you know, normal operation. How does this fit in with your Kickstarter campaign? So I know initially, you know, the, the goal maybe for the Kickstarter was to uh, get some funding to get this thing actually out the door, but it seemed like once once you really gained momentum, uh, you know, you added a couple of stretch goals to the Kickstarter that were uh, along the lines of uh, robustness of the battery and, and certain additional functionalities for the product. Were those things that you had always wanted to do, or were they suggestions from your gallery of Kickstarter contributors? I think one of them was from the Kickstarter, or maybe reinforced from the Kickstarter community, which was the ability to charge it from the wall. <clears throat> and that's something that, you know, as soon as we, you know, people started asking about it, it became like, yeah, yeah, that's definitely what we need to do. And so we, we actually added that as a stretch goal. I don't believe we actually hit it, but we, we still decided to put it in anyhow. Our thinking was, you know, well, shoot, if you're, we're going to be giving you the battery pack, why would we only, you know, why, why would it be limited only to be used on the bicycle? You know, battery pack should be used in any way you like, as well as on the battery, uh, as well as on the bicycle. Yeah, a, a number of people had asked about having two batteries. You know, uh, can I have a and mm. can I recharge it from my computer if I want to? So those kind of got us thinking about the flexibility of the battery itself, uh, and those. You know the embedded systems electronics we're using. You know allow for that type of charging. So why not? Obviously, we're if you if you think about our design vision for this, it's much more than a bicycle accessory. It's all about uh, kind of a, a powering a, a lifestyle, if you will. Uh, and if you look into the developing world, and if you look at the motivations that we had for doing something that would work down there. It's about the sole source, in most cases, of available power, period. So that was, you know, the size of the battery, those types of things definitely arose through a mix of Aaron and I's own thinking kind of from the beginning, Kickstarter feedback, uh, and also some feedback from folks like UNICEF and some, some people we've contacted about donating these generators who will tell us, well, you know, this is, you have 3% uh, of people in Burundi that have access to electricity. Uh, they all have cell phones, and they all use those cell phones nonstop, and they're all spending an inordinate um, percentage of their income on basic uh, electricity from uh, for phones and for lights. You know, so so those those kinds of real-world use cases uh, definitely affected you know some of the design changes uh, you know we, we did kind of post Kickstarter. Actually, David, do you mind going into that a little bit more? Tell us more about about the the donations that you're doing with the product. Yeah, I, it was a big reason of why I came to this idea in the first place. You know, Aaron, you know, definitely agrees, and it's it's part of our mission. You know, and our mission statement is all about you know, putting power in the spokes of those who need it most. Um, so we've we've spoken just from a a logistics standpoint, we've spoken with a, a large number of partners, uh, and so there's not one that we've kind of chosen to go with. The criteria we have to ab abide by for the developing world is quite different than in the developed world. Um, from things as basic as, you know, just access to power, you know, uh, it's, it's great here. We're all sitting in front of our computers, you know. Uh, you can just plug into the USB port there and charge the battery, right? Well. If they could charge the battery, you know, in Burundi, they'd be doing it, but they can't. That kind of level of daily use and thinking about it um, as the, the only source of electricity 
uh, you know, has led us to think about ruggedness, durability. This isn't something that you can run down to, you know, your local Best Buy and return uh, or something like that, right, in that case. The version of the device that we've been thinking about for the developing world, while it will maintain the same value, may actually have quite a different design uh, than the one that we, uh, you know, have designed for the developed world. Um, and that's really just from a use case kind of uh, strategy. So, you know, as I mentioned, UNICEF, we've spoken with them, a group called World Bicycle Release, some really interesting organizations doing great things. But the, you know, the overarching problem remains that you've got a billion and a half people in the world. So, you know, basically one in five who simply don't have access to electricity, while simultaneously a lot of the aid, the kind of advancements in mobile health, mobile finance, the ability of people, you know, to communicate during disaster or emergency, all of that is going mobile and primarily through phones. There's been some, it's interesting, there are more mobile phone subscriptions uh, in the world than there are people. So it gives you a concept that over four and a half billion of those subscriptions are in the developing world. And, the, you know, in Africa specifically, um, I haven't seen data for other places, but we've skipped not only skip the landline piece, but we're also skipping computers. Um, you know, it's, it's predominantly everything is done by a mobile device, and those are smaller, but, you know, they're small batteries. There's still a lot of processing power, but for, you know, most of the people, these are becoming necessary devices. Candidly, a lot of them are just using the phone, turning it off, using the phone, turning it off, because they have to save that power. Lots of moving parts, more than we had, than I had really imagined in the beginning, and more than I think we had we had kind of imagined in, in designing this device. We had figured, well, we'll give away the same one. So it's raised a whole new set of kind of design issues for us to tackle, but also a whole new opportunity in thinking about this as not only a donation, but something that we can you know sell in the open market and bring more value to really throughout the world. I mean developing and developed world. So your, your, uh, your comment about the cell phones and batteries made me picture immediately landfills filled with discarded telephones and batteries. And so I'm curious to know the role of sustainability both in your design and in your product development. And I mean, you guys are selling an actual product. So I'm just sort of curious to know a little bit more about how you think about sustainability. Sure. You know, first, first and foremost, this is a, a renewable energy source. It's something that we made a conscious decision not to promote it very much uh, as, as such. You know, it's something we wanted to get across the clear picture that this is power from your legs. But if you think about where power is coming from, you, know, you think of coal plants, but you also think of, you know, trash-fired plants and things like that in the developing world, which there are a lot of, or, or diesel burning generators, there's that source issue that is huge. So that's the invisible side um, that's both invisible most of the time to us plugging in in the wall here, and you know, there's the invisible piece in terms of turning you know, the, the power in your legs into electricity. Subsequent piece, and in terms of the sustainability piece, is, is a, a huge problem, and we've, you know, we've thought a lot about it and thinking about you know, even the design, the, the, the generator itself will probably, you know, be the longest lasting piece of our design in the sense that batteries are only as good as their manufacturing. So 
Aaron, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, the manufacturers kind of say, well, you've got two to four years of life in the battery, which if you think about the discrepancy there, well, two or four years is a huge difference. Um, but so the generator is designed modularly so you can replace the battery without having to replace the whole generator. And then the, the last piece, just from kind of a, a current data standpoint, is it's, it's interesting, but a lot of the phones in the developed world, all, you know, the recycling, uh, e-recycling companies that have popped up, things like that, they're taking a lot of, you know, older technology and bringing it over to the developed world. So, you know, you're not seeing a lot of, you know, uh, iPhones in, in Burundi, but you do see a lot of Nokias, a lot of the phones that five years ago or even three years ago we were all using here. So I'm pleased to see that there is kind of that life cycle of reuse happening. You know, the, the bigger e-waste question and how that's kind of going to affect everything is a big one. We as a small startup have not really, we haven't implemented, for instance, a, you know, a returns program where we would, you know, recuperate parts, uh, the generator, things like that. Uh, it's something we've discussed from a life cycle, you know, kind of standpoint, but we haven't really been able to put in, in place some kind of structure that would, you know, make it a true cradle-to-grave sustainability product. Uh, but we have put, you know, kind of in place from the beginning on design and then kind of from a thought process on renewable energy, you know, kind of the, the, the foundations for this being a, a net positive impact, we hope. Yeah, and I'll just intersect as far as, you know, the actual design of it has been such that everything except for the external housing you can uh, refurbish and and keep this thing running. Like Dave said, we haven't put it in place, but, you know, I would like to get it going, but the idea is that um, you know, the external housing we're having it's a it's a not we're not going to allow this to be field serviceable for the, this current version, and that's just because there's a lot of stuff going on, on the inside and people are pulling this thing apart. Everything needs to be waterproof. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, people pull it apart now. Things aren't waterproof, and you know, things water stay in places. Everything goes crazy, and and, and their product breaks. That being said, if you let go of the housing, you know, so the housing would have to be destroyed in order to get it off. But all the stuff on the inside, so the generator, the electronics, the gears, how all that stuff's assembled, that's all very repeatable. So it's all very, you could refurbish it. We could take the core guts, put it into a new uh, external housing, and you know, ship it back out. Also designed it so that there's a core you know, mechanical center that that core can be used on, uh, you know, we have plans for different products aside from just a bicycle generator. So this, this idea of you know, having an input and then having a generator and then an output, you know, that you, it doesn't only have to go onto a bike. And so the, using the flexibility of this core part that you can design external housings that have different shapes and different applications. Once again, just trying to decrease you know, how much you have to put in up front for how much you get in the in the end, which, you know, what's the best way of, of worrying about, you know, uh, landfills is that you have something that, that, you know, you actually never have to throw away or you can keep you can keep repurposing it. And so, I mean, that that's kind of the idea or, you, you know, if you think you wear out, certain things always wear out, right? Anything that moves is going to have something that wears out, that you can just simply and easily replace the part that wears out. And, you know, the majority of it doesn't have to. Furthermore, even with the electronics, it's a conscious decision that, that we've made to uh, not overtax the battery in the, the way that we charge it and discharge it so that it prolongs the life of it. I mean, uh, a lot of people try and get away with this, uh, different 
you know, different charge and discharge parameters, and they don't do it as smartly. But we're definitely taking those precautions, and, and to make it so that you know you, you don't have to throw it away after two years. And it's actually it's a function of the total charge discharge cycles, um, and then as well as how much you overstress the battery. And so yeah, well, I mean we're, we're taking all these things to try and make this last as long as we can. If parts that wear out are easy to replace, just that part, and then obviously you know make it so that it doesn't wear out. You know, try and make it robust and make it proper, good design criteria for longevity. Excellent. So tell us what's next. What's what's in V2? Because uh, I'm sure you guys are working on that already. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, sure. I, I think I think there are two things really. One is version two of the generator itself, which may or may not have to do with the biking industry per se. About applying that, you know, kind of tailored energy core that we've developed across, you know, multiple industries as well as multiple use cases. So something like, as Aaron alluded to in his thinking about modular pieces, how would this work on a bicycle but also on a micro windmill? How would this work on a, a bicycle but also as a mini water wheel that could turn a hydrofoil? So looking at that as kind of a longer turn R&D piece and then as we think about kind of the inspiration for the design, you know, and what it does for the bicycle, there are all of these accessory pieces that you, you, you are, that are now A, possible, which wouldn't have been without power on the bicycle, but B, also there's kind of a loyalty tree of products. So now that you, you have power for your phone all the time on the bicycle, what about a cradle, you know, that goes with that that is, you know, a, a part and parcel of it? You know, what about lights that are embedded into the generator, uh, which is something that uh, we had the great foresight of putting in our intellectual uh, property for our patent. You know, some, some things like that. So uh, we definitely have a, uh, a longer-term vision for the generator core, for us as an energy company, thinking about that. And then kind of in the shorter to medium term, it's about, uh, you know, expanding the product core, uh, you know, so that, it's easier and easier uh, once people, once somebody does have an atom on the bicycle to be completely independent, uh, you know, because of it. Yeah, we like this idea of, uh, you know, uh, you put you put stuff on your bike that needs power, and then you never have to worry about it again. You know, it's uh, you know, everyone loves the USB rechargeable, you know, lights that they have on their bike. But wouldn't it be great if you just never even ever had to worry about the USB ever again. And so this idea that, you know, you never have to go further than, than your own bicycle to to get the power that you're going to need to use while you're on it. And, and it alludes to what Dave was saying with this bicycle 2.0 and, you know, different ways to link, you know, the, the personal electronic experience with the bicycle and to get different uh, benefits from that. So we have, a, yeah, we have a couple of things, you know, that aren't design heavy from a mechanical standpoint that are fun from an electronical standpoint and, you know, programming standpoint that, you know, these fun little uh, ways to, to start to apply this power that we have that's on the bicycle. And then um, and then as soon as we have, yeah, that's a little bit more of, a, of an investment of time is, is to get this thing fitting on uh, disc brakes, disc brakes bicycles, you know, so that we can apply it to all the good mountain bikers and commuter bikes that are coming out with the, uh, with the disc brakes, which is definitely possible, it's just not possible in the current form. Um, so just take a little bit of, just need to make some new gears, and then we'll be ready to do that. So, 
those are the next steps for sure. That's great. It seems like there's plenty of room for, uh, you know, keeping the, the product family alive and, and doing great things with the company. Uh, so yeah, I really want to thank you guys for, for chatting with us today. It's been really interesting to hear about, you know, kind of everything you've done. Uh, I guess kind of the last thing and probably the most important thing for the folks who are listening to this, uh, how can they get to you? What's the, what's the best way to, to learn about your product or if they're interested in it? Hey, well, Aaron's personal cell phone <laughs> number is, uh, uh, I, I kid, uh, the, well, obviously the, the, the item is still available for pre-order, um, right now, post Kickstarter on our website. So that's SivaCycle.com, S-I-V-A, uh, Cycle.com. We're also at Facebook, uh, on Facebook.com slash SivaCycle and, uh, on Twitter at SivaBike. The cycle is already taken. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> on our website, there's a, a newsletter sign up, and people can email us at info at tvacycle.com. So the one note, you know, on this, the pre-orders that we'll deliver together with the Kickstarters are only going through October 15th. So if you order before October 15th or on October 15th, you'll get the device. It'll be shipping in January, depending on where you live, probably arriving in in early February or late January if you're nearby. After that, we'll be delivering with our second production run, which will be a larger production run in uh, the March-April timeline. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for your time, guys. Uh, and I'll be sure to put all the contact information in your website and Facebook and Twitter uh, in the show notes and up on our website. Um, and, uh, yeah, we really appreciate you guys uh, sitting down and talking with us. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah.